0: Hello, everyone. This is the Connected Family Podcast, episode number 13. This podcast is produced by Connections Family Counseling, LLC, a group counseling practice located in Quincy, Illinois, that helps build resilient kids, strong marriages, and connected families. My name is Mark Vanderlei, and I'm your host. Today's episode is all about pornography. We have with us today Aaron Bart, the Dean of Chapel at Dort College, located in Sioux Center, Iowa. Aaron teaches, writes, preaches, and spends time regularly with students. He's the co-founder and president of One Body, One Hope, a community development and church planting ministry in Liberia, West Africa, where he visits regularly. In 2014, he co-authored Vivid, Deepening Your Colors, with Sid Helama, and today he speaks regularly at conferences, camps, churches, schools, and special events. Aaron is married to author Nicole Bart, and together they have five children. Now, here's my interview with Aaron Bart. Pastor Aaron Bart with me here today. Aaron, thanks for being here. You bet, Mark. Happy to be here. Awesome. So I thought we would begin um, just asking you to introduce yourself. Tell us maybe a little bit about your family, your, what you do, your experience, what your interests are.
1: Yeah, sure um i live in sioux center iowa work as the dean of chapel at Dort college i've been here nine years now and with that obviously do a lot of pastoral work with 18 to 22 year olds um i got five kids of my own so the kind of conversations you're covering in your podcast are right up my alley and right where i live
0: yeah great well i again just really appreciate you taking the time uh to be here i think Our topic today is incredibly important uh, for families, maybe even particularly dads. We're going to be talking about pornography use, um, maybe the scope of the issue, how it impacts people in different areas of life, and then what families can do. So one of the first questions that I was sort of thinking about regarding this topic was, I know, I believe, that you do some speaking in churches and schools and different organizations about the use of pornography. How did you come to a place where that's a topic you started to talk about
1: um well I started uh reluctantly um I don't think, I don't think anybody wakes up one morning and says you know what? I don't want to have awkward conversations with teenagers about pornography and sexual dysfunction issues so um you know it really came about because once I started this job at college I started to see so many people coming into my office just saying hey I've never told anybody this but you know, I'm, I struggle with pornography or I'm getting married next month and I always thought I could stop and I've tried now and I can't stop. And can you help me? Um, and those conversations just became more and more and more frequent. Um, and I just began to realize I needed to do a lot more research into this and find out um, more about it so I could become a little more knowledgeable on the topic. And then as time went on and I started to unpack people's stories with them, I realized, you know, the real education here, um, I'm sick of doing cleanup on the back end. What would it look like if we started getting more in front of this um, and helping educate parents and even young people themselves? So along with my wife, we developed some workshops and just wanted to do, well, you know, chapels at a couple of local schools. And one thing led to another. And yeah, I've been doing some writing for uh, a couple different journals and actually now I've been in. 10 states interviewing over 5,000 students in the past couple of years on this topic, and it has quickly become something that is a passion of mine only because I've found the depth of the hurt that that people are experiencing from it.
0: Wow, I didn't realize you had been interviewing so many people about its impact. That's got to be huge, and you have to learn it. I imagine you learn a ton from that.
1: I do learn a ton from that, and I just, I was reading a lot of books, of course, from, you know, experts on mental health, but I wanted to hear from junior high and high school students, you know, what's the question that you're asking that your school curriculum isn't answering? Um, You know, it would be a question as simple as that. And yeah, my wife and I have just been compiling data from every school we go to asking students anonymously Mm -hmm. some of those questions. Um, And so many of them have to do with pornography. Wow.
0: So you said you did research um, kind of as, as you found this to become more of something that you were... Uh, dealing with with your college-age students what are what's some of the information you found in that research maybe um, the scope of the problem obviously if you're you're talking to 5,000 students and the problem seems to be pretty significantly a significant problem how about with the college students that you see
1: Uh, with the college students I see it really has only ramped up from high school you know I mean you take Take information like the pretty comprehensive study that the Barner Group put out called the Porn Phenomenon. You know, 64% of young people, 64% of people aged 13 to 24 are actively seeking out porn at least once a week. So we've got the majority of young people in high school and college at least once a week, not bumping into this stuff, but actively seeking it out, um, and for male and female Um Those are just shocking statistics, right? A hundred billion dollar industry is targeting young people. And the fastest growing demographic of porn consumers um, are early to mid-teenagers. And the porn industry knows this, um, and they very deliberately target them. You know, they do everything from studying school curriculum and figuring out what social studies grade nine students are going to do papers on buy up domain names, manipulate search engine requests. I mean, there's a hundred billion bucks up for grabs. So they're going to go, go after that with all that they are. Um, yeah, And it, it is, it's incredibly devious, but I guess I'm always thinking if you decided to make porn for a living already, um, I'm not guessing like ethics is at the top of your, you know, right. driving values when you wake up in the morning.
0: Right. And there's that huge pot of money available. So they're driven to find that and get a piece of that. So I, a story that relates, I think, a little bit in what you're sharing, just in the whole idea of targeting young people. So, my wife and I, oh, our, our son asked us, he was almost 13, and he said, Hey, Dad, can I have Instagram? And we're like, eh, I don't know. We'll have to think about that. He didn't even have a phone yet. He just had like a tablet with Wi Fi, you know? And so we started, we sat down together one night, and she had my phone. I had Instagram. I hadn't really used it a whole lot. And she clicked on two hashtags. And clicking on those two random hashtags with no sexual uh, innuendo included in them, and she was presented with pornography after clicking on two hashtags. Um, it just blew my mind how quickly it can be found. And even, I don't know about accidentally, but stumbling upon it or just going down the wrong path.
1: Yeah. Well, and it, it is just simply so, so prevalent. Um, I mean, Various sources vary on this, but most would argue that somewhere between one quarter and one half of all the content online is pornography, Um, right? Like hundreds of millions of pages of this, Um, so much video. And then now, of course, now the ability for so on so many different sites for people to post their own. So you've got self-made, homemade. I, I get so freaked out when I sit and talk to kids, right? Very much like your experience, where they see something, or they experience something, they don't have the education yet or the even vocabulary yet to process. Mm-hmm. So, for the first time in history, we've got kids who have seen hardcore pornography, but have never yet felt the butterflies of holding somebody's hand on a first date. Mm-hmm. Like that's a really weird way to be educating our minds sexually.
0: As you talk about that, I'm reminded of the book The Disappearance of Childhood by Neil Postman, who talks about how um, the dip, one of the things childhood is disappearing because our children are being exposed to things that used to be adult things but now um, are being exposed to children. And so now they're having these adult ideas in their mind that before children never had. And just uh, really touched on I me. Mean, he, he talked about it in regards to sexuality and the sexual sexualization of our culture,
1: um, and it really has a problem. So. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. That's really well put. Yeah.
0: Um, so the scope is incredible. You know, tons and tons of porn to be found on the Internet and the number of kids who are encountering it over half. How does pornography use impact someone's life, let's say, in the areas of faith, relationships, education? What are your thoughts there? Yeah.
1: Um, I guess the longer I've thought about this, you know, just sort of going back, even just the introduction of sin into the world. So we'll start with the faith dynamic. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, part of me says we shouldn't be surprised. In in Genesis 3, the first time sin enters in, it was actually within our sexuality where we felt that first. In many ways, it's the most vulnerable part of who we are. Um, And I think the evil one knows that as part of his playbook, right? They were, they were, they felt naked and ashamed, so they hid, um, that was man's first response um, to the entrance of sin. So to know that that's going to be the case, to, instead of pretending like good people don't have those problems and bad people do, which is often the narrative our children get told, um, instead our education needs to start with an acknowledgement for them of, this is the world that you live in, and this is how you will be attacked, um, and this is sort of the battlefield for, for your mind that the evil one's after. Um, and, and helping them educate them on the front end, not just on the back end. Mm-hmm. of that, getting ahead of the learning curve forum That's, that's a big one. And both in faith and in education.
0: Yeah. So I'll, I'll be honest. I'm not sh- in my discussions with my boys, uh, about pornography. I think I started out, we started talking pretty young and that was like, you know, I'm like, okay, we're going to talk about it. But the way I talked about it, I think was don't look at it. Don't do this. This is going to ruin your brain. Yep. <laughs> you yeah. So, would you, so it almost sounds like you're saying, well, do it a little bit differently, um, not so much don't look at it so much, you're going to look. You're gonna see it, and what do you do when you see it? Is that maybe where you're at a little bit?
1: Yeah, very much so. Um, you know, when I'm looking for biblical stories, my boys, too, talk about, like, Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Like, Joseph has an, a heart oriented a particular way before the moment of that temptation arises. He knows what he wants. And he knows what he wants to be in life, and he knows that this is not going to give it. And a heart that's already strong and educated that way flees and runs from temptation rather than not knowing what to do or being paralyzed by it in the moment. Um, And I think that's one of the great myths and one of the great struggles for parents in this regard is they so badly want to save their children from it rather than educate them for it. Um, I'm doing a workshop coming up in a church next week, and it's for fourth graders, and I got a lot of parents saying they haven't had any sex ed yet at school. How can we be talking about pornography? And I want to tell them, like, this is the point of education is to tell somebody something before they need it. Right. Like, I didn't yeah. tell my kid to not run into the street after he got smoked by a car. I <laughs> told him not run into the street so that he would not get hit by a car. Um, and I, I need to address my own anxiety and awkwardness about that, because I think that's where a lot of our hesitancy comes from.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. So parents probably struggle to talk about it with their kids. And how do you help parents with that?
1: Um, One way that we've been doing it is um, in schools, doing workshops with parents and kids at the same time. So just introducing a bit of a topic and then breaking them off to have conversations so that they own it. They get established as the authority in that, that it's not Google and it's not Siri that has the answers to a kid's questions about sexuality. But they need to be affirmed that they're good questions, right? So... I'm trying to drive that conversation into the hands of parents over and over again, where they can read where their kid is at, um, where they can be deeply invested and have the conversations at home, and then set up the safeguards that they want to, where the kid actually owns them and don't feel like it's imposed on him.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I often talk with parents about how, you know, the way we respond to our kids' questions gives them messages about whether or not they're allowed to ask those questions, or if if we can talk about those things. And so if a parent yes. can take this question and Although they're probably freaking out on the inside, right? They're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe we're talking about this. At least be able to have a conversation and look relatively calm and and composed. Opens up doors for future conversations, I would guess, which is probably the hope,
1: I would think. Absolutely. I think that's the goal, too.
0: Yeah. So how about relationships? How does view of porn impact relationships from what you see?
1: I mean, it affects it on a a number of levels. I mean, when I'm breaking it down and trying to explain this with a student, you know, when they first don't really understand the significance of it, I'll talk about how, you know, pornography is rewiring your brain. Um, It's readjusting what it is that you are attracted to. Um, You're programming your brain and you're creating neurological superhighways between stimulus and response. And if every, I mean, and this is what terrifies me about this. If every time a young mind thinks about sexuality, it reaches for its cell phone and searches pornography. The brain associates sexuality with pornography. Mm. Um, and then of course, later on when they want to get rid of that, they can't. So, you know, number one, pornography is rewiring our brains. Mm. Uh, number two, it, it wrecks real relationships. Um, we just, we see people as objects. And I heard that recently. Um, the part of our brain that per, that processes pornography actually is the part that processes relationship. It's the part of our brain that processes objects, mm-hmm. um, and so to go from there, that becomes the established norm. And so then to go into relationship, relationship actually seems abnormal, not porn in the way that the brain's processing it. Naomi Wolf in New York Magazine, she had a great quote um, said, "Porn distorts our view of men and women, so we've reached the point where today real women are just bad porn." Um, <sighs> Because if that's your normal, that's where you end up, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I I guess lastly, number three, porn's wrecking real sex. Like, porn-induced erectile dysfunction is real. Um, I've had 21, 22-year-old young married men in my office saying, I went on my honeymoon with my wife and never realized what pornography did to me until I could not become aroused. And this is like 21, 22 years old. We've not seen this before. Um, and it's directly related. Um, there are certain medical cases, of course, yes, but directly related to pornography usage.
0: That's amazing. I hadn't, I was not aware of that. I'm really thankful for that information. I mean, it just so significantly impacts relationships. I want, I'm guessing also intimacy, not only physical intimacy, but um, um emotional intimacy. You've talked about the secrecy and the hiding of it. You know, I can't imagine how Hiding pornography from one's spouse or from one's loved one distances us in those relationships.
1: Yeah, and, and it does in, t- in really scary ways. Um, Dr. Fu runs a, um, a huge center that studies a lot of the effects of pornography um, and runs a national um, organization called One and Four and just talks about sort of sexual abuse and how that happens. One of the things he talks about in his presentations is a study that he did of all pornographic films made in the last couple of years. And he says that within that, 88% of all of them contained at least one scene where there was violence towards women. And then 95% of the time when that scene did occur, that the women showed either pleasure or indifference. And so there's, a, there's an association, I think, taking place more and more within the brain um, that associates, um, sexuality with violence. And, you know, I'm trying to imagine a 12, 13 year old kid going online, looking up porn. Um, he's got great questions about sexuality, but ends up in the wrong place. And this becomes the steady diet of his education. You really would grow up as a young man thinking a woman wants to be hurt sexually. Mm. Um, not right. Your brain's not processing. These are paid actors. This is all fake. This is all synthetic. Um, and this is wrong it's just becomes the new baseline.
0: Yeah, for sure. So how do, so we've talked a little bit already. I think, you know, parents, loved ones, pastors, churches, it sounds like education for preparation is kind of already coming out, I think, as something that those people can do to help and to respond. Um, Are there other things? What else do, can be done?
1: I think as parents, it's really important to remember that, you know, our goal in this is to capture their heart and not just modify their behavior. Um, You're not just trying to scare a child into compliance. I mean, you want them to know what it is that they're fighting for in their own mind. Um, Because number one, they're always going to be more tech savvy than we are. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter what I can kind of safeguards or filters I put on my phones and all the devices they can access online. They're always going to be one step ahead of me. And I'm not going to be as good as a $100 billion industry chasing them either. So I think it's so important for us to figure out what it looks like in conversation to capture our kids' hearts, for them to know that we are authority figures on this, we're trustworthy, that when they have a question, we're going to give them an honest answer. Um, And part of that for the church, right, we're regaining ground here. We did such a terrible job for so long in the silence, the deafening silence uh, that we put forward on the topic of sexuality. We have, we have kids growing now, Muslim grow up, and this is how I grew up, that my faith existed in one place and my sexuality in another. They were not talking to each other. Mm. They were very disconnected. Um, and we need to integrate our kids' sexuality um, at the very beginning of the, their development of their self-identity.
0: Mm. So rather than seeing those things separately, maybe having the church be the place where sexuality is talked about the most, as opposed to other places.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I I don't know why it wouldn't be. I mean, we need to get this back in the category. Like, this is God's gift. This was his design. He put it on page one of the Bible. It's the first blessing he gave to mankind. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. That's the first time the word blessing occurs in the Bible. And like, God invented this stuff. We keep acting like he didn't. We're somehow apologizing for it. Um, I think we got to give credit where credit's due. We got to cite our source on this one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know if this is right or not, but maybe, I mean, I think I've read about, it's even worship, right? Or, or sexuality can be a piece of worship. And
1: that's Absolutely. Great. If it's part of our image bearing of God, um, to use any part of our being for his glory is an act of worship. So yeah. yes, absolutely.
0: Yeah. So I like that idea of capturing their heart, right? Because you talked earlier about where, sort of where their heart is focused Where with your example of David, his heart was sort of trained in a certain direction already, and so capturing their heart um, and having it focused in a certain direction is is one thing. Um, I kind of wonder if there's, um, as I was thinking about this, I wonder if there's certain roles for fathers and ma- mothers. Are they different? Are they similar? You know, what are your thoughts on particular roles for for those a father or a mother in this conversation?
1: That's a great question. Um... I mean, I'm sensitive to the fact that I need to be there. A lot of people don't have um, both functioning roles in the same household, right? Um, So sometimes it's we all got to make do with what we got. Um, I think for a lot of people, um, my theory on this, I don't have have the statistics to back this up, but just anecdotally, I think the evidence points that direction. Um, Like in our home, I always have the first conversations with our boys, uh, because I think it's probably easier for them. But then I always make sure that they hear – from my wife to um, um, her viewpoint, and they want—they need to hear a woman's voice in that as well. So I think it's important to get both, really.
0: Yeah, and and I guess the you know a mom is going to be able to give a unique perspective that dad's not going to be able to give. What is it like to live in a world that's saturated with sexuality and objectifies women? And what does it feel like to be objectified?
1: Absolutely.
0: What else? Any other things that I guess I guess the one question, how do we when my son comes to me? This is the scary thing. When my son comes to me and says, Dad, I looked at I saw porn. How should I respond?
1: Um, I mean, everybody knows their own kids, right? I mean, I got I got one. My wife and I debated for years and years whether we were going to how we were going to discipline our kids. And then turns out that every single one of them was so unique and needed to be treated differently. In that, and one one method with one didn't work with the other. So I don't think there's a textbook answer to this. I've heard some really sweet stories on how this has been done. I have a friend of mine. Um, He's got a PhD in theology and in psychology, an incredible leader. He caught his own daughter at 12 years old looking at pornography, um, and then what he did is actually sat down beside her with a chair beside the computer and clicked back through the history through each of the pages she had been. And said, there, now we've both seen it. Now let's talk. Hmm. Um, I mean, that's that's one way. Um, it's incredibly daring. I don't have my PhD in psychology. I'm not sure <laughs> I dare go that route myself. Um, but I think just acknowledgement. like When I do workshops with parents, I make them tell kids the stories of their own failures and hurts. Like, where were you hurt growing up? When did somebody break your heart? When were you tempted? Did you make any sexual mistakes along the way? And these are the kinds of things that I think people don't want to tell their kids, but nothing will establish authority um, and as a parent more than vulnerability. And vulnerability yeah. leads to intimacy. So it, it we, I don't see other way to get any other way to get there.
0: Yeah. So respond with humility, vulnerability, openness, even when my heart probably is scared and wants to respond, might even be angry, you know. And that, that ain't.
1: yes. Yeah. I need to tell myself all, all the time, right? Like, I'm not angry at them. I'm angry for them. Um, mm-hmm. I got I to redirect that a little bit. I'm on their side. I'm not against them. Um, and I need, to aff- I need to affirm in the middle of that, like, you are a sexual being, and you're at a really, really difficult stage of life. And I have no idea why God, in his infinite wisdom, decided to make us sexually come of age 10 to 15 years before we get married. But that for many males, they actually pass their physical sexual peak before they're allowed to be sexually active. Um, like, what was God doing there? Uh, this, so we're asking our kids, and I know theologically God works in the waiting, right? There's an incredible season here where some of our most important sexual development is happening when we're not sexually active. Because the most biggest sexual organ is our brain. Um, and so that's so important for our kids. So I, I need to tell them, like, this is not wasted time. This is not wasted time. It's not just about find the off button and try to shut it off. You aren't supposed to do that. You can be a fully sexualized being and not be sexually active. And you can be an image bearer of God while doing that.
0: Yeah. And part of the waiting, I guess, as you're saying, is maybe part of, although you're not expressing that sexuality necessarily in in, in the, this certain way, there's expressions of sexuality or in that waiting.
1: Well, absolutely. And you're developing self-control that you're going to need for a lifetime. You're developing your own sexual understanding, which is going to lead to better sexual experiences down the road um, later on. And in the same way that I don't let my toddlers go into a pizza buffet and eat whatever they want, right? Like I help them manage that. This yeah. is the stage where they manage that, and and we baby step our way into these things. There's something really, really appropriate about a first kiss, um, about a first date, about the first crush um, so when I'm doing workshops with parents, I'm always having them tell those stories back to their kids because it normalizes <laughs> it for them.
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't help but think when you were talking about uh, the workshops with parents and encouraging them to tell, be vulnerable, tell their stories. I, I work with parents and teens from an attachment based perspective where it's all about, you know, our history really influences the way that we parent and the way that uh, we cope with the stress and, and our history with our current caregivers. And we say often, um, you can't take, you can't, as counselors, we say, you can't take your clients anywhere that you haven't been. And as parents, it's, I'm, I think, the same. We can't take our kids in some ways anywhere we haven't been. And so if I can't be vulnerable with them, if I can't be uh, have intimacy with them in that emotional appropriate way, I don't think I'll be able to expect them to do that with me or in the future, you know, so it's really a lot of modeling and when we can go there together, they'll be able to go there with other people and what a great gift that could be to give them.
1: So Oh, I, absolutely. I mean, I've seen some parents be incredibly brave in how they do this and be able to go down, um, lines and conversational lines that a lot of us would be very f- afraid to go. Um, I just read Jay Stringer's, um, unwanted, an incredible book. Um, Probably the best book I've ever written on unwanted sexual behavior and and patterns of thought. Um, And in that, he talks about how the common Christian response is just to quickly knee-jerk say no. Um, But he really helps us understand that you actually need to go down the line of, like, why am I fantasizing about what I am? Like, the key search terms that somebody puts in when looking for pornography actually holds within it the answers to the roots of their problems. So it's not just no and deny, it's why, right? Like, why are you interested in that? And what is, what is the longing, the unmet longing and need in your life that you're trying to find by searching out this dysfunctional answer? And I've never heard Christians tell me that before. Mm-hmm. But now I'm utilizing that in conversations with young men, young women who come into my office. It has been so helpful.
0: Yeah, to help them see that it comes from a longing.
1: Yeah absolutely
0: how does that so it's like okay so then where do we go with that longing i imagine for them right that's again maybe goes back to that folk where's their heart focused and those types of things
1: yeah i you know to help them understand that disordered loves are still loves right like before the church codified the seven deadly sins. The early desert fathers who came up with that idea just simply regarded them as the seven earthly, like seven fleshly desires, the seven natural human desires that everybody has. Now that can go down a road of self-destruction, or it can go down a path of righteousness. But either way, um, there's not an off button. Like you're gonna, you're gonna take that somewhere, mm. and so I think that allows us to affirm in conversation for them. Um, we're going to figure out what this all means together. But you are a sexual being, and you're, and that's part of your image-bearing of God. And God said, "Male and female He created them." And the diversity of us and the longing we have for each other is actually a reflection of the longing and desire and intimate community of the Trinity itself. It's awesome.
0: Where are we direct? Where's that longing, desire, and desire pointed? And how do we help our children? How do we help educate them and steer them and get and direct that longing towards uh, normal things, love, sex, normal thing, but in a yep. way that it's, is within, um, within the way it's designed by God to have been done. Absolutely. Um, well, I'm so thankful for the time uh, that you have been willing to today. If there were maybe one or two ways that you would summarize or things that you would say to parents and really would want them to take away from if they were listening to this, what would be those two big points or three or whatever?
1: Um, I would say that the two biggest books that I, I use for resources, Jay Stringer's Unwanted and Dr. William Struthers' Wired for Intimacy. Um, are, there you go. You're holding it right in front of you. <laughs> yeah. A fantastic book. Um, just and again, helping people understand, right. How, how to rewire um, and not how to shut off. So I, I think there's that. Um, there's great resources that are starting to be developed. Um, CovenantEyes.com, um, XXXChurch.com, Fight the New Drug. Fight the New Drug is the best resources I've found. Um, it has all kinds of videos, testimonies, celebrities, um, young YouTube sensations who are all speaking out against this and very relatable for kids. Um, so everything from consent um, to porn consumption. So it's nothing like a kid telling another kid, you don't want this. Um, I think kids always think parents are holding out on them, right? Yeah. (laughs) They don't think that their peers are. And so it's good for them to hear voices, their own age and people that they look up to and respect that aren't mom and dad reinforcing that message. So those would be some resources that I would point parents towards.
0: Okay, cool. Well, I'm going to, I'll link to those things in sort of the, the show notes, uh, when I put this online, is there any way that people if they wanted to have you come speak at their school or their church that they'd be able to get into contact with you?
1: Yeah, sure. They can always um, they can always find me or my podcasts um, on Dort's website, D O R D T dot edu. Um, and from there my email, phone number, all my contact info is on there as well. So www.dort.edu, D O R D T.
0: <laughs> soon to be soon to be Dort city right
1: that's right and may it may it will be dort university that's correct so exciting
0: (laughs) all right well thank you so much i hope you have a wonderful afternoon um and again wonderful to have to talk with you and thank you for your time
1: thank you so much mark and thanks for doing what you're doing and bringing up important conversations you're empowering a lot of parents like us so thank you
0: Thank you for listening to the Connected Family Podcast. We're dedicated to helping you build resilient kids, strong marriages, and connected families. If you'd like to continue the conversation about pornography use, please join our Facebook group at facebook.com backslash groups backslash the Connected Family Podcast. This group consists of additional resources and discussion regarding episode topics, as well as support for building a connected family. You can also follow us on Instagram at Connections Family Counseling, or our website at connectionsquincy.com.